Hey, while you're still standing, why don't we just say thanks to the worship team and the guys and Gladys up there for leading us this morning. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks, Paul. Great. All right. And now y'all have a seat. Uh, uh, I did that unashamedly because I'm the worship pastor. So the worship leaders, some appreciate, I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, yeah, they just, uh, thank you so much for leading us. Uh, it's so good to see you uh, this morning. My name is Justin. I'm the pastor of worship and missions here at Church on Bayshore. So on behalf of everyone who's a part of this faith family, I want to say thank you for being here. If you're here for the first time, you can just consider this a mulligan. Come back next week uh, when our lead pastor will be preaching again. Uh, but uh, just we want you to know that we're so thankful you're here. You can text the word connect to the number on the screen. Uh, let us know who you are. We can meet you. We would certainly count that our joy and our privilege. A couple of things for us. To, to be aware of uh, that are going on uh, in the life of our church to be praying for. Uh, the first is this. This Saturday, we have Serve Day, and it's going to be great. Uh, right now, we have around 200 people who are signed up to go out in our community and uh, share the gospel to serve and meet needs in a lot of different ways. So we want you to be a part of that. If you haven't uh, already signed up, it's kind of like uh, past time to do that. So, uh, But we are full of grace and mercy, just like Jesus, and uh, you can still sign up for that and be a part of that. Uh, and then also, just to be mindful, we are just a couple of weeks, a few weeks away from Easter weekend. I know uh, it seems like it's far, but it's not. And in fact, this morning, we're diving into a passage that's often associated with, uh, with Easter and the triumphal entry. But uh, on that Sunday, on Easter Sunday, the 17th of April, we have three services, 8, 9, 30, and 11. There are no life groups meeting that Sunday because we need you to help serve. Uh, we on a uh, we are averaging right over 200 kids on a normal Sunday in in kids ministry, uh, and we expect more than that on Easter Sunday. And we need people to help uh, with parking connections uh, in kids ministry. So you've got no excuse because you don't have a group to go to. So there you go. Uh, and we also want you to invite people. So there's invite cards at the welcome desk, but share it on social media. Let people know that's where you'll be Easter, and invite people. The only excuse. For you not to serve on Sunday is if you have an unchurched person with you that you're bringing as a guest. All right, I said it, so now you have to do it, right? That's not the way it works in my house, but maybe it'll work here. I don't know. Uh, so I just want you to, that's our heart for Easter. So as we dive into this passage, we're continuing our series that Steve Renna, our church administrator, kicked off for us last week by what authority? As we look at the authority of Jesus, the authority of Jesus leading into the events leading up to his crucifixion and then his resurrection. And we're gonna be in Mark chapter 11. And this Sunday, we're looking at the triumphal entry, which is a passage that we normally save and preach on Palm Sunday. Uh, leading up to Easter. So why are we doing it now in March? Uh, well, it's because as a church on Sunday mornings, we teach you books of the Bible, and this is where we are, so this is what we're gonna teach. That okay? All right, so let's keep rolling. Uh, let's go to Mark chapter 11, verses one through 11. Let's read this together. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, 
They untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches and that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we just sang that. Oh, it's like... There's planning that goes into these Sundays. All right, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. Let's pray together. Lord, we just pray right now as we open your word. Oh, Lord, speak to us. We don't have wisdom apart from your wisdom. We don't have understanding apart from your spirit illuminating uh, your word to our minds, to our hearts, and to our lives. And so we pray right now that that is what you would do. Help us, help me. Jesus, we pray in your name, amen. So this passage, a couple of things that we wanna understand contextually that are going on as we dive into what uh, is being said here. First, in verse one, they're headed to Jerusalem. Why are they going to Jerusalem? There's a celebration about to happen in Jerusalem called the Passover. And they, this was an annual celebration in which the, the Israelites, the Jews, would celebrate the Passover, commemorating when uh, God passed over uh, their houses as they were uh, captive in Egypt. We're gonna talk a little bit more about what Passover is in just a second. So they're headed there. So Jerusalem is crowded and a lot of people are headed there. And Jesus says, go find a cult on which no one has ever sat. Now, it's important to know that it was a young colt. Uh, well, colt means young, so that was kind of redundant. But uh, it was a young, a young donkey uh, and it had never been ridden on. And that's significant because as Jesus comes into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, uh, it was an honor and a privilege to be the first to ride on an animal and to break it in. And so Jesus says specifically, find one that no one has ever sat on. Then in verse four, verses three and four, he says, this is what you're gonna say. If they, anybody asks you, just say, the Lord needs it. And that'll be enough. So guess what happens? They find the colt, just like Jesus told them. It's amazing, right? It's like Jesus knows things. And he knows that there's a colt there. And he tells them to go find a colt. And guess what? They find a colt. Well, in verses five and six, someone does say, what are you doing? The best translation we have for, for what they actually said is, what in the world are you doing? What right do you have? Who do you think you are taking this cult? Then they answered just what Jesus said. The Lord has need of it. So what we can gather from this, uh, their response and that they let them go, they let them have uh, the, the, the cult, is that these people probably had heard of Jesus. The owners of the cult had probably heard about Jesus. This is an area near Bethany. That's where Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Word about Jesus and his miracles had gotten out. And so word is spreading. So the people probably knew that they, whether or not they fully believe, we know that they, they knew who Jesus was and that this would be an honorable use of their cult. So they let him go. 
And then in verse seven, they, you see that they throw their cloaks on it because this would have been an unbroken colt. It would have been very uncomfortable to ride. I don't know if you've ever tried to ride a donkey. Not fun for a broken in one either. You know, how many have you ever tried to ride a donkey? Anybody? No one. All right. Oh, we got one. All right. Of course it's you, Erica Russell. Of course it's you. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but, so he's riding on it, but then not only do they throw cloaks on for a saddle, but then they begin throwing their cloaks on the ground as a way to carpet the ground from the dust. And this would have been a sign and a symbol of royalty. You wouldn't do this for anybody, just anybody, but you would do this for royalty. You would do this for someone who is royal. Then in verse seven, we see that Jesus is riding on it. He says he sat on it. That's how we know he wrote it. He sat on it. And then in verse seven, uh, we see that this is actually the fulfillment of Zechariah, the prophecy of the prophet Zechariah chapter nine. And this is what that verse says. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So it's significant that Jesus is riding on a donkey and not a horse. As Jesus is riding on a donkey and not just a, a camel, one, because the prophet Zechariah foretold that this would happen. So Jesus, in telling them to go get the colt, is actually fulfilling prophecy that he knows is about him because he's the Messiah. But also a donkey is not incredibly prestigious, not incredibly strong when you compare it to a horse. So we have a donkey being ridden by a king. And then they grab branches, which they would have done. And these leafy branches, uh, palm branches, were actually uh, used in many Jewish celebrations. And they were actually a sign of nationalism. And to see the palm branch was actually a sign of victory, was used often in celebration, used in the Feast of Tabernacles, which uh, was a celebration that commemorates their deliverance from Egypt. But it was a sign of nationalism and a sign of pride, that this is our king, this is the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. It would be kind of like us inaugurating a new president and we're standing on the side waving American flags, the symbol of our nation. Then they cry, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he. Hosanna literally means save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So for those of you who are familiar with this story, maybe you have a church background or you're familiar with the Bible, on the surface level, I think this story just seems like, okay, that's a nice story. Jesus came to Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He's so humble. Make me like Jesus. I want to be humble. Actually, I don't want to be humble, but I know I should be humble, so I'll be humble. Make me like Jesus. Cute story. Move on. And for those of you who, who aren't familiar with the Bible, maybe you think, why, why, is this in the, why is this significant? Well, I think there's some significant things for us to see about the Passover, specifically about the triumphal entry. So I want to talk about those this morning. The first thing is this. When Jesus says, untie the colt, we should untie the colt. When Jesus says, untie the colt, go get the colt, untie the colt, we should go untie the colt. Do we think that the disciples fully understood why they had to do this? We don't know, but I guarantee that the disciples probably didn't understand fully why they had to go to this village 
and get the colt. Why would we have to do that? Did Jesus really say get a colt? And if they knew that he was about to ride in on a colt, on a donkey, don't you think they probably would have been like, a Jesus, uh, this is not a great plan. There's some better animals that you could choose, right? We could do a horse. Yeah, I'd settle for a camel. That'd be fine too. A colt, really, Jesus? You're supposed to be the king. Like, we thought you were it. And in fact, if this were us, we would have been like, actually, Jesus, we've, we've just, we have an intervention right now. We have a task force and a committee and we've actually got several proposals for you. Like, I, I, we know you said untie the colt, but did you really mean untie the colt? Did you really mean that? In fact, we've got this group, and we're, gonna, we're just going to just present you with some different proposals. We've got a cost analysis to figure out what animal would actually be the most fuel efficient for the food they have to eat, right? And we're going to do a strategy, and we're going to, no, Jesus says untie the colt. So what should we do? Untie the colt. So when Jesus says do it, what should we do? Do it. When Jesus says, untie the colt, untie the colt. And I think many of us who have followed Jesus for a little time, there's been times in our lives where we didn't know why God led us to do something. We didn't actually see, like, know in the moment, like, this was gonna be the end result, but we knew we were supposed to do something and we did it. And then on the flip side, we're like, wow, that, that's why. You know, I think like when we got married and then we moved to Florida, like we moved to this area, like we didn't know anybody, right? We're like the panhandle, like people live there. That's what we, I mean, some of y'all like are like, oh, really? You thought the same thing before the military moved you here, right? You know, like people like, and then we moved here and it's like, okay, God, we are taking, we are moving away. The only ones who don't live near our family, like we're just taking a step of faith because we believe this is what you called us to do. And then you see like the end of that, like God is working and he's built relationships and he's grown our family and, and you're just like, God, only you could do this. When, when he says untie the cold, what should we do? So there, there really isn't a reason given to the disciples why they should go other than Jesus says, the Lord needs it. And to the owners of the cult, there really isn't a reason given other than the Lord needs it. So for us to obey should there really be much more than we need? Then Jesus said it. Jesus said it. So I will do it. Well, if you're like me, a question you often hear in your house when you tell someone to do something or even ask nicely is, but why? Why should I have to do that? Why should I untie the cult if Jesus says untie the cult? Well, let me tell you why. There's a lot of reasons why. I'm gonna tell you two. Two reasons why we should obey. The first is this. You can trust God. Like, I know that's simple, but I just want you to know that you know that you know today. If you leave here knowing nothing else, I just want you to know you can trust God you may not understand why, you don't see the big picture, you don't see the end, but you can trust God. And here's why we can trust God. He's holy. You can trust God because he's holy. God is holy, that means he's perfect. So track with me here. If God is holy, which he is, God is perfect. And if God is perfect, that means God cannot sin. And if God cannot sin, then you know this, that his love is also perfect because his love flows from his holiness. Love is an overflow of his holiness. And if God is perfect and God is holy, then God cannot sin. Then we know that God's love is perfect. His love flows from his holiness. 
And if God is perfect, then his love is perfect. And if God is perfect and his love is perfect, then we can trust this. He is always, check with me, church, always working in a way that is for his glory and for our good. Because isn't that what love does? Doesn't love always work in a way that is best for the object of its affection? Even if we don't understand. Parents, your children don't always understand why they have to obey. And sometimes, and we're, we're, and this, we're not perfect parents and we messed it up a lot. But in your heart, like you want them to obey because you, you want to keep them safe or you want them to, to, to know the blessing of the Lord. So if our imperfection, we can trust, how much more can we trust someone who's perfect? And so if God is perfect, he can't sin, we can trust his love. We can trust his heart. And because God is holy, his love is perfect, we can trust him. And if we can trust him because he's perfect and he cannot sin, we can trust all of his promises. So if God is perfect, his love is perfect, we can trust him. That means we can trust all of his promises because God cannot break his promises. Because if he were to break a promise, that would make him a liar. And God is not a liar. God is the, the truth. He is the truth. Like it is antithetical to his nature to not be true. So God is true. God is holy. God is loving and God is true. Therefore, you can trust every single one of his promises. He can't sin because he's holy. And because he's holy, you can trust him. God keeps his promises. So when you read the promises of God, like in Matthew 6, when it says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then everything else is going to be added to you. Guess what? It's true. It's true. In Deuteronomy 31, 6, when he says, be strong and courageous, don't be terrified because of them. The Lord, your God, goes with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Guess what? It's true. God can't leave you because if he left you, he'd be a liar. And God's not a liar because he's perfect. Like God is always with you. And when you read the promise that God will supply every one of your needs according to his riches and glory, guess what? It's true. In 1 John 1, 19, when we, excuse me, 1, 9, when we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guess what? It's true when we read in Romans that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's true. If it weren't true, God would be a liar and God's not a liar because God is holy and he's perfect. You can trust him. In Revelation 21, and he says this, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people forever and eternity. And in that eternity, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain for former things have passed away. Guess what, church? Good news. It's true. It's true. It's true. And when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am, if you know it, finish it with me, with you always even to the end of the age. Guess what? It's true. You can trust God. So why should you obey? Why should you untie that cult? Why should you just do what he's called you to do? Because you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. Over and over and over and over again, you can trust him. He doesn't break his promises. Why should we obey? We can trust them. A second reason we should obey, untie the cult, it's because God sees and knows everything. Like we see a cult 
and Jesus sees redemption. We see a few stars, God sees the universe. We see a few generations, God sees eternity. We see a baby donkey and Jesus sees the cross and the empty tomb and his sons and daughters redeemed for all of eternity, right? God sees it all. Our knowledge and our perspective is limited. Guess what? You're not God. I'm not God, though we pretend. Our knowledge and perspective is limited, but God's knowledge and perspective is limitless. God's knowledge and perspective is limitless. Isaiah 46.10 says that he declares the end from the beginning. Have you ever watched a movie with someone and they've already seen it and then they blow it for you? And you're like, you are the most annoying person in the face of the earth. Why did you do that to me? Why did you tell me now? I just turn it off right now. I never have that problem with my wife because she never remembers any movie that we watch. It's great. She's like, oh, we'll get to the end. She's like, you know what? I think we saw that. Like, I don't know either. (laughs) We were both probably asleep. But he knows the end from the beginning. We just sang it. The end is written. Jesus Christ, he wins. We can trust him because our sight is limited. God's sight is limitless. He sees all. Jesus Christ is the only one who predicted his own death, who predicted his resurrection, and pulled it off. Lots of people throughout history predicted their death and predicted their resurrection, and only one actually did it, and that's Jesus Christ. So track with me, church. At the end of the day, don't you want to trust the one who who predicted his death and predicted his resurrection and did it? Like, he did it. And so we can trust him because his perspective is not limited like ours is. He knows the end from the beginning. Romans 11, 33 through 35, Paul's quoting from Isaiah in the book of Job, and he says this, oh, the depth and the rich of, excuse me, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? So when Jesus says, untie the colt, untie the colt, you can trust him. You don't have to know how it's all gonna play out because you know the end of the story is written. You know God is perfect. You know that God is holy. You know that you can trust him. You know that he is faithful. You know that he can't break his promises and you know that he sees all and knows all. His power is limitless. His perspective is all seeing and all knowing. And this is so freeing for us to follow him now because now we are free to see everything in light, in light of the truth that God cannot fail. So when he says go untie the colt, there's a reason. That means there's really not any accidents, but rather divine appointments. So, hey, that means your next military appointment isn't just someone in an office telling, determining where you're gonna live, but it's God sending you somewhere to be salt, to be light, 
to share the gospel with people that you wouldn't have met anywhere else. Your next job isn't just a, a paycheck, but it's actually God placing you somewhere to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When you move to a new house or a new school or a new anywhere, God is sending you there. So when you, God impresses something on your heart, when the spirit leads you, when you feel called, when you feel compelled, or even when it isn't just a special calling and you're just faithfully obeying what he's already revealed in his word, guess what? You are part of a story that is bigger than you. I mean, we should literally just walk around being like our minds blown that God allows us to be involved in his work. We should just be constantly in awe and aware, like, Jesus, I don't deserve this. Like, okay, I'll untie the colt because it's your colt. I can't even untie the colt because my fingers don't work if you don't move them, Lord. Like, I'll do whatever you say. I'll obey. I'll do whatever you say because I know who you are and I know that I can trust you because you see it all, you know it all. So, Lord, help me have your perspective. His perspective. He sees it all. A while back, uh, one of I have permission to share this story. Anytime I share a story about a kid, it's in my home. It's with permission. Uh, so this is with permission. Uh, I will tell you this, but I won't name the child, even though it's my oldest and he's taller than me. So, didn't say his name. So when he was little, uh, we had these things called DVD players in our home, and and it played discs. And we didn't download it on our computer. And it, we had this DVD, and it was a DVD of this, uh, this annoyingly syrupy, sweet, nauseously ooey-gooey kids called the Cedarmont Kids. I don't know if anybody knows what this is. But if you do, you're already like, oh, this is cheesy. Like, it's cheesy. And they just like, it's just all these really cuter than cute kids, and they're just like sitting around acting out songs. There were 10 in the bed, and the little one said, roll over. Right? And it's just that. And they go into like, Father Abraham had many sons, Jesus. And every little song you can think of, they go into it. Well, you know, toddlers toddle. They toddle around, and they touch all the buttons, they turn all the knobs. And I was at our dining room table. I was working on a paper for seminary. And he's toddling around, and he goes up to the, 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 the DVD player, which is hooked to our stereo. And I like music, so they're nice speakers, and they get a little loud. All right. And he has, in all of his playing, I'm not really watching him because I'm like, he can't really break it. He has turned the volume up to 100. And then he somehow pressed play. And then it's just like, Father I mean, he lost it. I jump up and he's screaming, he's wailing. But am I scared? I mean, he's literally running to me like, Father Abraham's coming out of the TV. He's going to eat me. Like, no, what do I do? You walk over, you hit stop. Do you know why? Perspective. Perspective. You pick your child up and you're like, buddy, Father Abraham's a good guy. He's not going to eat you. It's okay. You can trust the one who sees everything, who knows everything, and whose promises will not fail. So when you don't understand why Jesus is saying obey, go untie the colt. Here's what you can know. If he's asking you to do it, it's with the best intentions for you because he loves you. And his love is perfect because he's holy. So as we go on in this uh, events of Mark chapter 11, we see that people are cheering and they're, they're, they're shouting, Hosanna. So if we can trust God and we say, okay, God, I will trust you. I, I trust this. The question we have to ask is, are we trusting with the right reasons? 
are we trusting Jesus with the right motive? So the question we have to ask is this, are we looking to Jesus to fulfill our agenda or to join his agenda? Are we looking to Jesus to fulfill our own agenda or to join his agenda? Because we don't really know that, like, it's, it's often taught that these are two different crowds. There's the crowd shouting Hosanna, and then there's the crowd shouting crucified. Or, and then it's taught sometimes that the, the, the same people who are shouting Hosanna are the same people shouting crucified. And the answer is both. Some are there, some are both. The question for us is, which are we? And they were shouting Hosanna, save us, because they had an idea of what Jesus was going to do. In fact, even after Jesus died and was resurrected, we see the disciples after he's resurrected and he's teaching them. In Acts chapter 1, 6, they say, is now when you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're like, you, you, okay, so you did the whole, you know, you predicted your death, you predicted your resurrection. Is now when Israel is back? And they had an agenda for Jesus rather than submitting and joining his agenda. And they had an idea that Jesus was coming to deliver them as a nation to make them great again. They had expectations that he would deliver them from oppression, that they would be free, and literally to make Israel great again. Like that's what they wanted. But this is the very reason that Jesus came on a colt and not, not on a horse. Humble, lowly, as a servant. And he didn't bring an army except the army of angels and heavenly hosts. He brings himself as a sacrifice. Matthew's account is the only one here that actually mentions the donkey, uh, excuse me, mentions a donkey with the colt, probably the mother of the donkey to keep the colt calm. And it was an honor to be the first to ride. So people are hailing him as king. They're throwing their cloaks down to carpet the way. They're proclaiming him as the Messiah. Messiah. They say it in Mark 11, 9 and 10. This is what we read. And those who went before and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And what they're doing is they're actually saying part of a psalm. Psalm 118, 25 says this, save us, oh, save us, we pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And so they clearly had an agenda for what they thought Jesus was going to do. And so the question for us is, do we follow Jesus because we think he's gonna fulfill our agenda? Are we following him because we want his agenda? Like we want our lives to be a part of what he came to do. Too often we treat Jesus as an add-on to life to fulfill our agenda, to be great, to be comfortable, to be successful. We want a Jesus who, who will bless us and give us stuff and bless our endeavors and our plans even when we don't ask for his input. We want a Jesus who will make life easy, keep us safe, keep taxes low, and then we want to ignore the commands that he gives us to lay down our lives, to consider others as more important than ourselves, to submit one to another as to the Lord, and to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. When we follow Jesus, like we are saying, Lord, I submit to you as Lord. And now my plans are no longer my plans, but my plans are to honor you as Lord and I want to follow you. So if you trust him and you know he sees everything and you know he's holy, and you, are you gonna follow him for the right reasons? Are we looking to Jesus to fulfill our agenda and to join his agenda? Are you okay with a Messiah? with a king, with a Jesus who doesn't give you everything you think you want, but who promises to be more than you could ever need. Are you okay 
with Jesus, who is a king who does not give us everything we think we want, but who promises that he is more than we can ever need. We think we need a lot of things, and what we need is Jesus. And are we okay with this Messiah, this servant king, who tells us to come, follow me, take up our cross, to die to self daily, and follow him? And so we see at the end of this passage in verse 11, it says this, Jesus, and he, Jesus, entered Jerusalem, and he went into the temple, and when he had looked around at everything, it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So Jesus, at the end of the triumphal entry, unmounts the colt, and he walks into the temple. He walks into the temple as people are coming into Jerusalem, the very place he'll come back to next, on the next day and cleanse, drive out the money changers. He'll cleanse the temple tomorrow. It's late, he's not doing it today, but he looks around. And can you imagine Jesus, who like knows all, sees all, who knows at the end of this week, I am dying on a cross. He knows that in just a few days, this temple will be filled. This temple will be filled with people sacrificing lambs. And I am the lamb of God who's about to give my life for them. Jesus looks around. He looks around the temple. He takes it in because he knows what he's about to do. This place where sacrifices were made in just a few days, Jesus will be the sacrifice forever, the forever Passover sacrifice. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist, it's recorded, says this in the Gospel of John, written by the disciple in John 1, 29. It says, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So why is the triumphal entry? Why is Jesus riding in on a cult? Why is him coming to Jerusalem these few days before the Passover? Why is it significant? Well, if we look at John's account in the Gospel of John of the Passover, we see some important dates. In John 12, verse 1, it says this. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And then if we continue reading, we go to verses uh, uh, 12 and 13. It says this. The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches and palm trees and went to meet him crying out. So this is the triumphal entry. So we see that six days before the Passover, Jesus is in Bethany and the next day is the triumphal entry. So why is this significant? Well, let's look back to the first Passover. Go to Exodus chapter 12. It'll be on the screens if you don't have time to, to turn there. But Exodus chapter 12 Verses one through three say this, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, 
a lamb for a household. And in verse five, in verses, verses five and six, your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. And so on the 14th day, they would kill the lambs. And this first Passover, they would take the blood of the lambs, the Israelites would take the blood of the lambs and put it over their doorposts. And then as the final plague against the Egyptians to set the people of God free, the angel of the Lord came and passed over the houses with the blood over them. So they did not experience the death of their firstborn like those without the blood did. And this happened and God establishes the calendar and he tells them that this is the first month and this is to tell the congregation that on the 10th day of this month, you're going to select the lamb. And then you're gonna keep it until the 14th day and on the 14th day, you're gonna slaughter the lamb. So we know this that with how the Jewish calendar is counted and that with sunsetting, the sunset and how days are counted, that the Passover on this 14th day, if we back it up, it's the month of Nisan, the 14th day is the day that Jesus is crucified. The same time the lambs are slaughtered in the temple. And days before that, on Nisan 10, according to the Jewish calendar, is the day that Jesus rides in on a colt. The very day that the people of God, according to Exodus chapter 12, verse three, the 10th month, excuse me, the 10th day of the first month, on the very day that the people of God would have chosen their lamb for sacrifice for the Passover, God sends Jesus into Jerusalem on that day as the lamb of God triumphal entry, Jesus riding on a donkey, the Lamb of God who will be slain for the sin of the world. This perfect, spotless Lamb. Jesus is crucified as the Lamb, and then the Passover happens, and Jesus Christ is crucified, and he pays the debt for our sin. It's like God sees the end from the beginning. That Around 1,500 years after the first Passover, that Jesus Christ would be selected on the day that the nation would select their lambs for slaughter, would be riding in on a donkey to be the Lamb of God, to be the sacrifice, the once and final Lamb of God Passover sacrifice, so that you and I, that we could be reconciled to the Father. You can trust Him. God keeps all of his promises. He cannot break them. He will not break them. He sees all, he knows all. Will you join his story? Will you join his agenda and trust Jesus for who he is? Repent of the ways we've tried to make Jesus into our idea of what a savior would be or should be and say, Jesus, you are savior of the world and I submit my life to you. Do you know that Jesus died for you? Have you placed your faith in this all-atoning, perfect sacrifice of Jesus for your life? Jesus Christ, the once and for all final sacrifice for our sin. The first word of Holy Week was Hosanna, Lord save us. 
The next word was crucify him. But the final word of this week is he is risen. He is risen, folks. Jesus Christ is alive. He is alive, the perfect lamb of God who rides on the back of a colt, comes into town and is slain for the sins of the world. He is crucified, buried, and then he is alive. He is resurrected to life. You can trust God. You can trust him. Do you trust him? Do you say, Jesus, I trust your ways? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you believe that he is holy and because he's holy, he can't sin? And that because he cannot sin, you know that his love is perfect and that he is good and he is faithful. And do you know that, do you trust that he sees everything even when you don't? And because of this, because he's holy, because he sees everything and because you, tr- you can trust him, you can obey him. You can obey him and you can see that Jesus Christ gave his life for you. That is, behold what measure of love the Father has lavished on us that we could be called children of God and that is what we are. So this morning, are you going to trust him? Are you going to trust him? Are you going to surrender your life? Are you going to say, Jesus, make me more like you, the one who came, the one who served, the one who did not see his equality with God as something to be held on to, but made himself a man of no reputation and humbled himself even to obedience on the cross? Are you gonna repent of trying to make Jesus fit your agenda? Are you just gonna keep the colt tied up to the post? You're gonna say, Lord, I don't understand, I don't fully understand, but I'm running with the one who predicted his death, who predicted his resurrection, and pulled it off. Are you trusting him? Will you lay down your life? And so as we respond right now, I just wanna lead us in a time of prayer. Oh, if you just bow your heads with me and let's just pray. Lord Jesus, help us. So if you're here this morning, we just ask you just to, You're just struggling with things you're not trusting God. Just say, Lord, I'm struggling with this. Help me trust. Go ahead and confess that to him now. Is there a way that you've you've attempted to trust your own plans above his plans? You're not trusted the promises of God that they're true. Just confess it now. Cry out to him. If you've never cried out to him as Savior, do it right now. And say, Lord, I need you. I, I turn from my sin and just help me trust. Like, Lord Jesus, we believe. Help our unbelief. Conform us to your image. Conform us to you. Help us to be like you, Lord. We can't do that. We can't just muster up the strength to be like you, Jesus. We have to do it face down, humbly submitted to you. Lord, we have nothing apart from you. We, we just to say this morning, we are 100% dependent on you. Lord, turn us away from trusting our own plans and our own wisdom and help us to trust you. And I pray this morning, if, Holy Spirit, just awaken our our faith. 
or someone to cross the line to, to saving faith right now just to cry out, Jesus, help. Let's just continue in prayer. I invite you to stand as we pray this response. As we say, Lord, help us. Make us like you. Change us. Only you can do it. Let's respond to him now.